Welcome, everyone. Like Sarah Beth said, this is week four of six in our Sunday morning messages titled Victorious. I'm so happy we're here together. And we just bless other congregations, too, that are, that are either meeting together or even if their people are meeting at home with their families. Uh, we just bless them. We ask, Lord, that you would encounter them this morning. So yeah, week four of six in this victorious series, we're focusing on the various tests um, and trials that, that happen in our lives. So if you're joining us for the first time, feel free to go back and listen to some of the messages we've talked about before, this, the ones before this one, and join us um, for the ones coming up in front of us. But these tests and trials, this is looking at Jesus' life and the things that he went through in his life that, that's, that prepared him for the cross. That, that he went through that, that made him, you know, be able to, to step into that place, to, to step into, onto the cross and, and carry these things. And his example of how he navigated through these tests is an example for us. It's, it's an, our opportunity to step into his victorious life. He is the victor, and we, we step into that. We're allowed to step into that. And the way that he handled attacks from the enemies, we also can handle attacks from the enemies. We can live victoriously. Some of these tests that we've, this series, we started with the test of identity. Then we had the test of power and authority. Last week, we went through the test of betrayal and rejection. This week, we're going through the test of obedience. Next week, we'll talk about the test of crushing. And lastly, the test of joy. So this morning, again, we're talking about the test of obedience. And two, two important keys throughout this whole series that we, these are anchor points for us to stand upon not only to survive, but thrive in the midst of trials and tests, different things. The first one is staying anchored to the goodness of God. Staying anchored to the goodness of God in every situation, every circumstance, everything that happens, staying connected to the goodness of God. And number two, knowing and living out our identity in Christ. Knowing and living out our identity in Christ. These are important parts of our foundation. If we don't have these things, um, it's, it's easy to, when the rains come, when the, when the winds come, as, the, as Jesus said, that, that our house won't stand. But if, this, if it's built on a solid foundation, this, when these attacks, when trials come, when tribulation comes, we'll be able to stand in the midst of these things. We'll learn how to fight temptation and move in partnership with God if we stand on these things. So Jesus, I just ask this morning that you would Take, take this time and speak through me, God. You would lead us into obedience, Lord. Just increase our capacity for faith, Jesus. Just ask even this morning that you would deposit gifts of faith to us. The faith to live like you, Jesus. To walk like you, Jesus. Amen. So two weeks ago, we talked about the test of authority and power. And that's when Jesus was in the wilderness and the, and the enemy came and tempted him to, to bow down to him, to receive kingdoms, to, to do these different things and, and use his power in, in not the way that the Father intended him. And so in, that, in those moments, Jesus quoted back scripture to the enemy. He was able to do that and he, he came through the test of power and authority in obedience. So these two are connected together and actually all these tests are connected together. 
But something to remember, and I talked about it that, you know, two weeks ago in the test of authority and power. We talked about the difference between the test of God and the test of the enemy. So the enemy tempts us to misuse our authority and tries to get us to take shortcuts to do things in our own strength rather than staying yoked to God, right? When we read the word test in the scriptures, we want to ask ourselves, what's being tested? Who's testing us? Is is God testing us or is the enemy testing us? Because tests in themselves aren't necessarily bad things, but we want to ask, what's being tested? So God tests our obedience and the enemy attacks or tests our faith. So that's something to remember. When God tests our obedience and we are obedient, even in the midst of uncertainty, even in the midst of risk or questions we might have, might not have all the answers, but we're obedient, our faith increases. That's, that's God's gift to us, and, and, and that test is a gift to us. God builds up our faith, faith by testing our obedience. It's strength training and discipline. God tests our obedience and builds us up. Now remember, when God tests our obedience, it's not vindictive, it's not mean. He tests our obedience so we can grow in our faith and our ability to trust him and lean into him. He presents us with positive opportunities to obey. Yes, these tests may require sacrifice. Yes, they may be uncomfortable. You know, they might you know, challenge our comfort level. But the idea is that we're turning over our will to the Father saying what you have for us is best. And so we can, we can turn these things over even in the midst of pain. And we're going to talk about that this morning. God's plan of building us up and growing our faith is a positive plan. And if we obey and we learn to walk in obedience, it can have an exponential result. I read this a couple weeks ago. This is Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 3. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe so that you may enjoy a long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. So when we're obedient, it goes well for us, and we increase greatly in the promises God has for us, right? Paul is writing in Romans to the believers in Rome, in one, chapter 1, verse 5, he says, I'm relieved to find that God tests our obedience in order to grow our faith. Through him and for his name's sake, we received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to obedience that comes from faith. Right? So these things are very connected. We talked about this a couple weeks ago for a short time, but I want to really unpack it a little bit more this morning. So through our relationship with God, we go through cycles of being upgraded. Does everybody know that? Now you do. Usually it starts with us receiving something from God. Either it's through listening to messages, teachings, reading books, reading the Word, during worship, meditating on Scripture, prophetically from the Holy Spirit or through others. We might receive an invitation or some kind of instruction from the Lord. Perhaps a command or a call to do something. Most of the time, these come with insight and understanding. So when the Lord calls us to something, invites us to something, there's an understanding. He gives us something, some understanding. And what that understanding can be, it could be um, an aspect of God, understanding an aspect of God or an aspect of ourselves or something about the situation or circumstance that he's calling us into. So most of the time, this 
insight and understanding, you know, is unto a direction as well. It's to do something. So this revelation of whatever it is, something, is either inviting us into or calling us to, it's, it's releasing something to us as well. What it releases to us is grace. So we've got these figures here. So we receive this revelation, and then we get grace that comes upon it when we receive that revelation. And that, revela- you know, that grace is actually, the idea in the scriptures is that it envelops us. It covers us. So that we're, and so this grace is actually supernatural favor from the Father for our lives. So let's say a test or trial or situation comes up in our lives. We go to God about it, we talk to him about it, and he gives us a revelation that this situation or this circumstance um, can be an upgrade for us. It's something he, he's inviting us into, a place of maturing in our lives. And so we receive the insight and the revelation, or revelation, and God releases grace upon us for that situation to step up and walk into it. And so when you do that, our faith, the next one is the faith, it rises up within us. So revelation, grace, covers us, envelops us, and then our faith rises within us. And our, when our faith rises, it's always unto something, right? It's unto obedience. And so this cycle goes from walking in obedience, gives us more revelation, more faith, more grace, back to more obedience. And as it continues, and, we, and the Lord does this and to upgrade us in all things into the maturity of Christ. Paul, again, when, right, this time when writing to Timothy about his past and how the Lord showed mercy in his life, says this about the inter- his interaction with grace and faith. In 1 Timothy 14, the grace of our Lord was poured out upon me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So God poured out grace abundantly upon Paul so that he, and that grace carried a gift of walking in faith and love like Jesus so he could step into that. The gift of revelation and grace for an upgrade in faith is always unto something. It's always unto obedience, like I said, into whatever the Lord's calling us into, whatever situation, whatever circumstance, whatever he's calling us. And if we let him, if we let him do this, if we allow him to do this, if we say yes, he'll upgrade us again into all things. Many times this is where the enemy tries to trick us and get us off course, Right? We'll get a revelation and then he'll come by and say, hey, that's not true. Or you don't really have favor to walk in that or that's going to be way harder than you think. You know? Or he'll try to get us to take shortcuts to get what the Lord wants f- for us without going through obedience or without doing it the way the Lord wants. And so that's how th- what the enemy does. What he does is he attacks our faith in those moments, in this process. So we, if we know that and we know what the enemy's coming, we can say no to him and resist like Jesus did. So faith is for obedience and it's to bring heaven to earth, Right? And, and, you know, when we think about it, that's the reality of it. Obedience is to bring heaven to earth more, to establish the lordship of Jesus more in circumstances and situations, right? And that's a cycle that continues and continues. Revelation with grace, faith to step into obedience, which opens up the door for even more. Relationship with God and man. Parenthetically, if you feel stuck spiritually, or if you've gone on this maturity, this, le- this journey of maturing in spiritual things, but you feel like you've hit a roadblock, I just encourage you 
to take some time and reflect with the Lord and say, think back about the last few things he's invited you to be obedient in and say, have I been obedient in those things? Have I actually been obedient to walk them out? And if you haven't, here's your chance to walk them out again, right? That's usually where we get stuck is we aren't obedient to the things that the Lord already invited us into. And so that's just something to think about. There's no condemnation in that, but reflection brings revelation and the opportunity to say yes again and walk through it. So when the enemy tests our faith, he wants to destroy our faith, like I said. However, if we're obedient and we persevere through these attacks, through the negative tests and temptations, focusing on the goodness of God, you know, focusing and staying in our faith increases. As a result, what the enemy meant for harm, God uses for our good. And even if we miss the mark in those moments when the enemy comes at us, if we run right back to Jesus, that's just like winning. That's teaching us again, hey, come on, come on, come back to me. So we don't run away even when we miss it. We, we push forward into him. So let's take a, a little bit of time to look at the test of obedience this morning. So the first half of this series, the Victorious series, have been on the tests of Jesus, and we focused really at the beginning on the early parts of Jesus' ministry, right? Right at the beginning, we talked about his baptism in the wilderness, and then from there forward. And now we're kind of going to, we're moving closer to the cross here, right? Through his victories and these tests, we too are victorious. Everything we've talked about before has been used by the Father for Jesus' good to prepare him for what's coming next, right? So by standing, standing firm in the face of temptation, by passing every test of identity, of authority, of power, even rejection, what John talked about last week, Jesus has come through this cycle of revelation, of calling, of walking in grace and favor of his Father. By taking time every day to meet with the Father, an ongoing relationship, Jesus is able to walk in obedience, right? They prepared him for what's next, and, and he's able to do what the Father sent him to do no matter the cost. So let's turn, if you have your Bible, turn to Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26. And this is going to be, I think, up on the screen, yeah. So this part of the story takes place in a garden. And this night is one of the most, one of the most powerful nights, actually, that we read about when Jesus' interaction with the disciples, his friends. And I encourage you um, to go back when you have the time and read or reread the chapters before this, a couple before this in Matthew and and also in John, chapters 13 through 18, I encourage you to go and read those. We're talking about the Last Supper, Jesus washing the feet of the disciples, sharing the bread and the wine, praying for one another, worshiping together. But we're picking up here in Matthew 26 after this. And having finished dinner and worshiping and praying together, they head out together to the Mount of Olives, to the Garden of Gethsemane. So let's pick up at verse 31, so it says, Along the way, Jesus said to them, Before this night is over, you will all desert me. You're all going to leave me. It's kind of a downer, right? <laughs> I mean, like, it's a downer for sure. Jesus already knows what's going to happen, and he lets them know. He's been trying to tell them 
all night and and the days leading up to this that he is going to die. He's been trying to tell that to them and they didn't quite get it fully. (laughs) And here he lets them know again that tonight's going to be a bad night. It's not going to be an easy night. Jesus says in 31, this will fulfill the prophecy of Scripture. He quotes from the ancient prophet Zechariah, I will strike down the shepherd and all the sheep will scatter far and wide. So he lets the disciples know this is going to happen. Jesus goes on to say, after, but after I'm risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and you'll meet me, I'll meet you there. So, you know, he, he also lets them know, hey, I'm going to come back to life after I die. So he doesn't leave them hanging, but, but they don't, I guess they don't get it for, for some reason. <laughs> Peter, and Peter does his Peter thing, right? Like, and the other disciples chime in with Peter. He's like, we won't leave you, we won't leave you, I won't leave you, you know? Um, let's, but let's skip down a little bit to verse 36. Then Jesus led his disciples to an orchard called Gethsemane. That word means the oil press. And he told them, sit here while I go and pray over there. So sit here and go while I go pray over there. Now there's a picture, hopefully. We got... So this is the Garden of Gethsemane in Israel. That's the garden there. These trees are not the trees that were there. They're probably only 500 years old. But you see the Mount of Olives and the Valley of Kidron there. So kind of imagine at night this, this area here, this orchard, this garden. And Jesus says, hey, go sit under this tree and I'm going to go over to that tree over there and I'm going to go pray over there, right? And then he invites his three best friends to join him. Like he loves the disciples. He's been spending every day with them for three years. But there's three of the 12 that are like his best friends. Like they've been through everything with him. He's entrusted them with so much. They've seen him transfigured, right, on the mount. They've seen so many things. And so he invites those three to come with him to this other tree. Peter, James, and John. He took Peter and James and John with him in 37. And then it all starts to unfold here. Jesus becomes greatly distressed, agitated, sorrowful, and troubled. In 37 it says, an intense feeling of great sorrow plunged his soul into deep (laughs) sorrow and agony. So let's take a second to think about this, right? Have you ever felt that way? Maybe recently have you felt that way? I think it's really fair to say that this moment Jesus had a panic attack. <laughs> you know, we've had pa- I've had panic attack before. I don't know if you have. In this moment, Jesus had a pan- panic attack, and I'm not joking. Like he, Jesus breaks here. And in 38, he said to them, "My heart is overwhelmed and crushed with grief. It feels as though I'm dying." That's how intense this is. He's overwhelmed with sorrow. He asks his friends. Stay here and keep watch with me. Through the different tests of Christ we've already gone through and through the other parts of Jesus' life, you know, we've seen him stand his ground in the face of temptation, in the face of the enemy, face to face. Time and time again, he's a rock, right? He's confident, he's calm, he's full of wisdom, he's full of love. We have seen him upset at the religious system and mindset, 
We've seen him full of joy and compassion. For the most part, Jesus always held his composure, but in this moment, Jesus is laying his heart bare to his best friends, right? And all he asks is like, just stay with me. Stay with me here. His closest friends. Imagine that. Like, can you remember the first time you saw someone who was an anchor point for you? You know, someone who you always saw as stable, maybe composed in all the right ways, a person you could always go to when you weren't feeling well. Maybe it's a parent or a mentor, somebody who's discipled you, a close friend. Have you ever watched them come undone? Like break down and get into a fetal position. Have you ever seen that? That's what these guys are like seeing here. Jesus. Jesus who was God and is God, who was with God in the beginning, who all things were created for and by and through. In this moment, his emotions are being so crushed by the weight of what's going to happen, right? In this moment. And he speaks the words of Psalm 42, verse 11. He says, why am I so sad? Why are you cast down my soul? Why am I so upset? Am I groaning and in uproar? I should or I will put my hope and wait for God. And I will continue praising him, my Savior, my victor, my God. These are the words of David that come through Jesus' mouth when he's feeling these emotions. And all he asks his friends, again, is to stay awake with him as he goes through this. In verse 39, it says, Then he walked a short distance away, and overcome with grief, he threw himself face down on the ground. Have you ever thrown yourself face down on the ground? It's intense, right? And he prayed, my father, if there's any way you can deliver me from this suffering, please take it away from me. Yet not my will, but your will be done. What I want is not important, for I only desire to fulfill your plan for me. It sounds a lot like his prayer that he instructed us to pray, right? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is literally praying the prayer that he instructs us to pray here. In the middle of this panic attack, he's, you know, this is the prayer that comes from his lips. And so when we're going through the middle of a panic attack, this is the prayer that can come from our lips. Remember, Jesus isn't surprised that he's going to the cross. He's already told them, right? He's already told them that he's going to do this. He already had the rev- he's already had a revelation of his identity from the Father, right? As a son of God, he knows his calling. He wasn't surprised by this. And the Holy Spirit has empowered him every step of the way through his ministry. He succeeded in the wilderness. He walked in favor and faith for three years. And that grace that was upon his life started to cover those around him as well. But remember, Jesus here is also fully man, right? He's 100% man, 100% God, but 100% man in this moment. And he's going through this gut-wrenching thing, right? And at the, mo- in the moment, he asks the Father, if there's any other way to do this, can we do it another way? <laughs> I don't want to drink this cup. Again, Jesus is speaking the language of Scripture here, and we don't have time to go into all of it, but for those who are note-takers, um, I encourage you to write down these pursuits for a later time. Psalm 75, 
Isaiah 51, and Jeremiah 25. There's other ones too, but those are, those are three you can pursue later. The cup that he's talking to is a reoccurring theme. And the cup signifies many things. It's a cup of judge, justice. It's a cup of judgment. It's a cup that people, <laughs> the people of Israel have asked for. The cup for Jesus meant suffering and death. The cup meant a surrender of his will to the Father. And it meant a surrender of his body to those who had less power than him. <laughs> this cup meant being subject to severe physical and mental and emotional abuse. This cup would be hard. And he's wrestling with the knowledge of this. The turmoil is so great within it, right? As the rightful king of Israel, Jesus could actually pour this cup onto the people who rejected him. He could actually pour the cup onto them if he wanted to. But he doesn't. He decides to drink it himself for us, for them and for us. It's not easy at the moment here, though, to think about that for him. He says, what I want is to not drink this cup, but my life is not my own. I lay down any self-preservation. I lay down my own desires, my own will, and choose to obey your Father, to obey your will. And Jesus is surrendering everything to be obedient to his Father. Sometimes to be obedient, we have to surrender our will to the Father, right? An hour. And he gets up and he goes to his friends and he finds them asleep. In Matthew 26, verse 40, he awakens Peter and said to him, do you lack the strength to stay awake with me even just for an hour? Keep alert and pray that you'll be spared from this time of testing. You should have learned by now that your spirit is eager enough, but your humanity is weak. In Luke, it says, he told the apostles, keep praying for strength to be spared from the severe test of your faith that is about to come. So there's two tests going on here, right? There's a test of Jesus' obedience with the Father, that interaction. Then there's the test where the enemy is attacking the faith of the disciples, right? These two tests are happening at the same time. And Jesus pleads with them and basically says, I know it's hard to stay awake. Flesh is weak. I understand that. But this time is so important. If you don't press into the Father now in prayer and relationship with me, you're going to run away when the enemy comes. That's what he's telling him. And if you can't be obedient in this little thing of staying awake, it's going to be a lot harder for you to be obedient in the bigger things. If you give in to fear, it'll replace your faith. Press in through prayer. Press in for revelation because it'll help protect you from fear. That's what Jesus is telling him. Matthew 26, 42, he left them for a second time to pray in solitude, and he says to God, my Father, if there is not a way that you can deliver me from this suffering, then your will must be done. So his prayer changes a little bit. He says, if, 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 this, isn't, if this is the way it's got to be, then your will must be done. He's in agreement now. In Luke 22, 43, same story, it's a little different perspective, at some point, an angel from heaven appeared to strengthen him in this moment, in this time. 
And that verse says, Jesus called for an angel of glory to strengthen him, and the angel appeared. This makes me really think of that glory that passed before Moses, right? When, when the Lord put him in the rock, and the glory of God passed before him is the goodness of God. I think that that angel brought the goodness, the glory of the goodness of God to Jesus again, the Father. And that strengthened him again. Right after that in Luke, it says he goes back and prays even more passionately, like one being sacrificed. Your will must be done, Father. Matthew 26, 43 through 44, he came back to the disciples again and found them asleep, for they couldn't keep their eyes open. So he left and pray, prayed again for a third time. The same prayer. And he comes back after his third prayer and finally wakes them up and says, it's enough, the hour has come. So the test of obedience has, has passed and he's, he's given up his will to the Father to follow through. The test of obedience is crucial and we could unpack this scripture for weeks and weeks. In fact, next week, Parker is going to talk more about it, the test of crushing. But we can learn so much about obedience from the story. One of the things we can learn is that Jesus pressed in, right? In the midst of fear, in the midst of panic, he felt those things. He didn't deny those feelings. He felt them, he went through them, but he didn't step into sin, right? You can feel emotions, they're, they're rightly so, right? but you can't be ruled by them, and Jesus wasn't ruled by them. He processed through them. And Jesus pressed in. He pressed in alone, even when his friends couldn't be obedient. He had to go forward, and he had to do what he was called to do. And, and we can be obedient, even if we're the only ones going. That's something we can learn from that. The Holy Spirit is also his helper. And even though we have to read between the lines here, we know the Holy Spirit was there, right? We know the Holy Spirit was there. And, and even if Jesus couldn't feel him in the moment, I don't know if he could or not, it doesn't say, but the Holy Spirit brought Scripture to his mouth, right? He brought those things to his mind and he prayed those things out. This truth strengthened him. And he'll do the same for us. When we're going through things, he'll bring truth. He'll bring scripture back up. Another thing we can learn, by the end of this test, Jesus went from being overwhelmed with emotion to trusting God. Though Jesus felt all the pain, he responded authentically to the Father instead of reacting and giving in to the enemy and abandoning his destiny because of fear. And so the Holy Spirit wants to do the same thing in our life. When we abide in the Father, like Jesus did, the Holy Spirit helps us walk in obedience to the Father's will. Prayer and abiding, those two things, and love with the Father was how Jesus stayed obedient. So true obedience flows from love and faith and abiding in God. Another thing we see here is that the Garden of Eden is where disobedience was born in humanity, right? The Garden of Eden is where disobedience was born in all of humanity. And the Garden of Gethsemane is where obedience was won by Jesus for all humanity, right? Another thing we can see here is that if the disciples, I believe this is something we see here, if the disciples had been obedient to stay and pray with him, I believe they'd been able to stay when the arrest happened. If Jesus, if Jesus said, hey, this is gonna happen, You're gonna, you are gonna leave me, but if he kept asking them, he kept inviting them, I think there was an opportunity for them to step into it. Side note, I think that's also similar when in Matthew chapter 17, some chapters later, 
when Jesus tells the disciples if they developed a lifestyle of prayer of fasting, they could have cast out those demons that they had a hard time pass- casting out, right? Driving out. I think it's the same thing at play here. Faith, even small like a mustard seed, grows to the biggest thing, right? It's the biggest tree. And so Jesus' faith, even in the midst of emotional turmoil and his obedience to the Father's will, the tools that Jesus used are the same tools that we use, prayer and fellowship with God. And understanding that cycle of revelation, grace, favor, obedience. Jesus overcame the temptation of disobedience through prayer. And on the flip side, if disciples had the ability to press in, um, they would have had the courage to obey. I could talk for hours on prayer, but to sum it up, you know, prayer is focusing on the person, the source of our strength who the Father is, and staying in connection with Him. When we do that, it fills us with the Holy Spirit even more. Our capacity for the Holy Spirit and and relationship grows even more, and it produces boldness and courage to obey. We keep our eyes focused on the Father and off of ourselves and our circumstances, you know what I mean? We we invite Him into the circumstances, but we stay focused on who He is because He's way bigger. In the midst of trials and attacks and tests, prayer helps us maintain the Father's perspective and heart for the situation and people involved. So here's a couple questions that I encourage you to write down and think about between now and our life groups later this week. So if you have your notebooks or you have your, your journals, write these questions down. The first question is, how is the Holy Spirit calling you to greater obedience? Or how is the Lord asking you to do something seemingly impossible? And be honest with God and ask for his help. Second question is, have you pre-decided to obey God in all the ways he's called you? Not just in areas that you pick and choose. Third question is, do you know that you're fully loved by God? not just based on your performance, but your position as a child with a heavenly inheritance. So write those three questions down. Take time to think about them this week before our life groups. Obedience is critical in our lives as new creations in Christ. We're made for it. It's a whole lot easier now that we're new creations in Christ because we're hardwired for it. Jesus has opened the door and sent the help of the Holy Spirit to guide us into greater levels of obedience. And the greatest thing that the Holy Spirit does is helps us engage in our relationship with God. He brings that revelation of the Father's goodness and baptizes us in the Father's love. In John 14 to 23, Jesus says, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and will come into them and make our home within them. And obedience is an act of love as a result of knowing and loving and living in faith. We can do a lot of things in God's name and it can look like obedience, right? But if it's not coming from the place of love and relationship, then it's not true obedience. It's for some other reason, you know? Maybe to look, or look good or something, I don't know. Matthew seven twenty one says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter in the realm of heaven's authority. It's only those who persist in doing the will of my heavenly Father. On the day of judgment, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, don't you remember us? Do we not prophesy in your name? Do we not cast out demons and do many miracles for the sake of your name? 
but I'll have to say to them, go away from me. You've never been joined to me. Paul reiterates this idea in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. It's a very popular verse. If I were to speak with eloquence in earth's many languages, in the heavenly tongues of angels, yet I didn't express myself with love, my words would be reduced to the hollow sound of nothing more than a clanging cymbal. Therefore, I have the gift of prophecy and a profound understanding of God's hidden secrets. Revelation, if I possess unending supernatural knowledge and have the greatest gift of faith that can move mountains, but have never learned to love, then I'm nothing. If I were to be so generous as to give away everything I own to feed the poor and offer my body to be burned as a martyr, martyr without the purest motive of love, I would gain nothing of value. So obedience also must flow through love, from love and through love and for love. So Lynn, will you come up? Obedience must flow from a revelation of God's love for us and from us as a response of our love for him. So we're going to transition now into a time of learning how to express our love to God by being obedient to some of his commands to worship. And we do something similar in Sakam every year, our worship lab. And this is one of my favorite things that the Lord's given my wife to give to us. And so this is going to be awesome.